0: Villainous. A Good Omen's fanfiction, Written by Ineffable Penguin. Read aloud by Skaia Simaru. If you enjoy this podfic, you can check out the original story on Archive of Our Own. If you would like to hear more of my recordings, or see some of my own work, you can find me through the pen and screen name of Skaia Simaru. Villainous Chapter Eleven. Celestial Harmonies. Tonight's topic of dinner conversation was swords again. Azra sighed quietly. <sighs> they were in the palace's large, stately, private dining-room attended by a row of servants, standing at stiff attention along the wall. The table was lit by dozens of candles, set in tall silver candelabras. Gilt-edged china and crystal goblets clinked. As usual, soft music flowed from a large golden harp that sat in the far corner untouched by human hands. Gabriel always insisted on bringing the artifact out for every meal, even when there was no one else to show off for. He insisted it raised the tone of the room, whatever that meant. But that was Gabriel for you. He and the others loved to adorn themselves with as much exorbitantly expensive magic as they could get their hands on. It seemed especially gaudy lately after spending so much time eating in the simple beauty of the wood or at the Jezebel by lantern light. Azra eyed the harp sourly. He really wouldn't have minded some music, except for the fact that the blasted thing could only play the one verse from the one song over and over and over again. It was not a long song, and was it getting slightly faster each time? He suspected that whatever spell had enchanted it centuries ago had begun to wear off. His brothers were currently sitting there at the table, yammering away at each other about the advantages of long swords over great swords. Or perhaps it was long swords over bastard swords. Azra had long since stopped paying attention, and heavens knew no one was asking for his opinion. All to the better. He sat there in silence, while the conversation ebbed and flowed around him quite content to focus on the food and not draw attention to himself the food was much more worthy of focus in his opinion an enormous roast of mutton braised to exquisite tenderness in red wine slathered all over with garlic and herbs Each meltingly soft forkful of meat came apart in his mouth like butter, so salty and a little bit sweet, and it was nearly enough to make him moan aloud. Truly delicious! Paired with the tiny delicate clusters of sautéed mushrooms in cream sauce, it was the best thing he had eaten in at least a month. Cook had outdone herself tonight. He would have to thank her personally later. He sighed appreciatively and began happily working his way through a second portion. He daydreamed as he ate and, as usual, despite his efforts, his daydreams were mostly occupied by one particular face. He knew he shouldn't. But surely a little bit of daydreaming couldn't hurt anything, not really. It couldn't hurt to think about how, at their last outing to the painted Jezebel, Crow had worn a new black shirt that hugged his slim shoulders and torso in a wonderful way, accenting yet softening all his lean angles and planes. The way the laces of his neckline always hung loose with nothing underneath, hinting at the merest dusting of auburn hair down his chest. Or how sometimes, when they had lunch in Eden, Crow would lounge with his long body all stretched out, one knee bent, face tilted upwards towards the sun, like a sleek black Cat basking, all feline grace and composure. At those times, all the sarcastic tension in Crow's face melted away, and he looked so happy and content, much like the way his entire demeanor softened when he smiled, or as he leaned close to examine a flower when he thought no one was watching. There was no lovelier sight in all the world than that look. His golden-eyed, dashing sorcerer, with the wry sense of humor, who was easily as remarkable as his magic. Anyone with working eyes should be able to see it. The room was suddenly too quiet. He looked up from his reverie and found himself the unwelcome subject of all three of his brother's attention. Oh, big pardon. Come again? I asked if something was amusing, Michael said. You were smiling. Oh, he smiled and shook his head. No, no, I was just thinking about a wonderful story I read earlier. As he expected, everyone simply rolled their eyes at their silly younger brother, and returned to their conversation. Azra faded contentedly back into obscurity, making sure to keep his face neutral this time. In only three more days, he would be able to ride home, uh, uh, south, ride south again. Three more days until he could see Crow again, until he could truly relax. The knowledge was just enough to keep him from feeling suffocated. His little inn room at the Golden Pony had come to feel more comfortable than his sumptuous home quarters ever had, and good heavens, the moment he stepped below that wall, he could breathe. He did not care to think about how it would feel when that was taken away. No, best not. He would be fine, of course. Servants cleared his twice-emptied plate and began filing into the room again, carrying the dessert course. Azra perked up to see the silver trays laden with vanilla cake and raspberries, one of his favorites. He eagerly accepted a large slice, though he knew he would probably regret it later. Hmm. Gabriel cast an assessing eye over him as the cake was set down. Those eyes were a different shade of blue than his own. In the right light, such as now, they could be almost violet. A match for his royal crown, set with square-cut amethysts. It was the first time he had spoken to him all meal, and Azra braced himself. Here it came. Is that really a good idea? Gabriel asked, right on cue. The Equinox Ball is only a month away, and then the Tournament of Kings is only three weeks after that. Plenty of time, then, Azra replied evenly, ignoring the lurch in his gut at the reminder. He took a dignified sip of wine and picked up his fork. A long-suffering sigh. (sighs) Have you been doing those exercises Arms Master Carmine sets you when you're out on duty? Uh, Sometimes. Azra kept his attention firmly on his plate. He didn't need to look up to see the smirks and exasperated glances being traded up and down the table. Sometimes? Azra, we discussed this. Gabriel shook his head and sighed again, and Azra could have done very well without his patronizing sighs. well, we've still got time to fix that this week before you go. Every day is a new opportunity to begin afresh, eh? King Gabriel took after Michael and their late father, with the same chestnut-brown hair and classically chiseled features. Though he had just celebrated his fiftieth birthday, the years seemed to have barely touched him. His clean shaven jaw was taut and unwrinkled, his back unbent, his hair untarnished by even a speck of gray, though Azra suspected that he dyed it. No extra pounds would dare go near his trim physique. He exercised twice daily and ate a carefully regimented diet. Also, like their late father, Gabriel believed with unflinching rigidity that your body was a reflection of character, a standard to maintain, and never failed to be the one holding the mirror. You know full well it's not my point of interest, Gabriel, Azra replied patiently. The same old dance, back and forth. Just another piece of the argument he'd had for his entire life with father. Gabriel had decided to take up that mantle as well when he became king. (laughs) Ha! Nonsense! You just haven't given it a fair chance! I've got a new regimen you can try. Worked wonders for one of the court boys. I'm certain you'll love it best set of drills I've ever done, let me tell you. Gabriel grinned encouragingly, flashing a set of gleaming white, large teeth. Like a horse, Azra thought, rather uncharitably. But they did look a bit like Seraphina's. They also looked brighter than usual, the result of some new-fangled cosmetic potion, no doubt. Azra took a large, deliberate bite of cake, just to irritate him. "'I've given it forty years of chances, Gabriel,' he replied, once he had chewed and swallowed and blotted his lips with the napkin. "'I can't imagine that another three days will make a difference,' Or another forty years, for that matter. Oh, but we possibly can't take you away from your... interests. His brother Sandalphon put in from the far end of the table. His voice was ever so slightly nasal, from a large, twice-broken nose. He didn't have the other two's height or slender build. But was still burly and muscled with the bullish strength of a champion boxer and wrestler he'd taken both titles in the last three kingdom tourneys, unlike the other brothers. Sandalfin kept his brown hair cropped close to his head, neatly shaved in part out of practicality, and in part to conceal a receding hairline. He was casually wolfing down his second slice of cake, and gestured with his knife. His thick fingers gleamed with layered bands of gold. At least one, Azra knew, an artifact enchanted to grow hot in the presence of danger. Just think, one day there'll be a tourney in poetry or magic tricks, and you'll be sure to take the championship. Sandalfan grinned, revealing a glint of more gold, where he had replaced two knocked-out teeth. More Snickers. Azra ignored it with the ease of long practice and continued eating, though some of the sweetness had gone out of the dessert. Gabriel held up a commanding hand, drawing everyone's attention back to him. (coughs) "'Your interests are secondary to your duty, Azra. "'You are part of this lineage, whether you like it or not, "'and we cannot have one of the heirs "'looking like an incompetent in the art of battle. "'If you only put half as much effort into that "'as you did into your little hobbies, well—' "'He sat back with a decisive gesture, "'his amethyst pinky ring.' flashing in the candlelight. Another artifact, this one designed to render any poison in his food harmless. It had cost a sizable fortune. With an effort, Azra refrained from pointing out that there was no battle. Hadn't been in over twenty years. But they already have you three for that sort of thing. I don't care about being... "'Competent in battle! You insufferable prat! a small voice in his mind added. That was Crow's influence, no doubt about it. Just the other day, Michael had laughed at him for eating a fourth biscuit at lunch, and he'd had to bite his tongue to keep himself from telling Michael to put the biscuit someplace uncomfortable. The memory made his mouth twitch. "'in spite of himself. "'Of course you do. "'I'll tell Carmine to expect you tomorrow morning.' "'Gabriel nodded and continued eating as if it was all settled. "'Don't make me issue a royal command.' "'He said it like he was joking, but Azra knew he was not. "'Like I said,' Gabriel continued. "'The Equinox ball is a month off.' And that's still just enough time to improve before you meet Lady Uriel. The bottom dropped out of Azra's stomach again, and he had to swallow down an agonized groan. The dreaded equinox ball and formal introduction. Just two weeks ago, Gabriel had burst into his chambers out of nowhere without so much as a knock or by-your-leave, startling Azra so badly that he'd spilled ink across the letter he was writing to Crow. Completely unheeding, the king had grandly announced that the marriage arrangement was set to proceed, all triumphant, toothy smiles and booming voice, while Azra stared in horror. Every day since then, He'd tried so hard to block it out and not think about it. He hadn't even told Crow yet, partly for fear that it would somehow make it real, and in part because he simply couldn't find the words. Every time he tried, they would stick in his throat. He'd found that sometimes things just took on a certain weight and became so heavy that speaking, or even thinking them, felt impossible. He did not want to talk about this now, not ever, and especially not right here, with his entire family and the wide-eared servants watching. But he tried anyway, out of sheer desperation. "'For goodness' sakes, Gabriel, she's the next best thing to a child. More than twenty years my junior. If you're set on having me marry, can't we at least find someone closer to my own age? There's no rush. At all.' "'The time for being selective was long ago, Azra. You aren't getting any younger.' And there isn't an unlimited supply of eligible unmarried daughters just waiting around for you to settle down. You know it's taken all these years waiting for this one to come of age. And at any rate, the negotiations are nearly complete now. It's done. But... Azra opened his mouth to argue, but Gabriel cut him off. You will do your duty in marrying her, if nothing else he said mildly but with a warning note coming into his voice she's the first daughter of the wealthiest imperion family of impeccable lineage and young enough to produce many excellent heirs it is an advantageous match for our line and both kingdoms and by all reports she is beautiful he sat back and spread his hands with a laugh as if to say What more could you possibly want? Ha! A better prize than any of us were able to land, truth be told. Honestly, given your various, well, shortcomings, you should count yourself fortunate that her family has accepted the match at all. When Azra said nothing, Gabriel gave a satisfied nod and began briskly cutting up his own measured portion of mutton. He hadn't touched the cake. So, that's settled. You'll meet her at the ball, as planned. Then we can make the official announcement at the tournament. It's the perfect opportunity, since all five royal families will be there. When you are not out on guard duty, I would suggest that you throw yourself into your training in preparation. Wash the dust from your brains after all those years buried in your books. "'We'll make a great warrior of you yet. Just wait.' Now he smiled with all his large white teeth and assumed that jovial paternal air that always set Azra's own teeth on edge. "'I'm told she's a lovely girl. Surely you want to impress her a little, hm? A month is still time to develop more skills. Gain some accolades.' Violet eyes looked him briefly over, and Gabriel gestured with his laden fork. Still time to lose the punch. He placed the bite of meat in his mouth and chewed. Azra stared down at his plate. The damnable, infuriating harp kept cheerily strumming, filling the silence. Duty. It always came back. To duty, restricting, chivying, prodding him with iron spurs when his feet dragged, inextricably hand in hand with the life he had been born into, reminding him yet again why it was useless to want things, lest they run up against that unyielding wall. Yes, he said, dully, resignedly. And put his fork in his cake again, though he didn't really want it any more. Doubtless you're right. I know I am. You can't spend your life with your nose buried in poetry and fanciful stories, Azra, filling your head with such nonsense. The head in the clouds behavior was harmless when you were a boy, but those days are years past. It's high time you put it aside. Took part in the real world, and the court, like a grown man. Once you're good and settled in, you'll see the right of it. Mmm. Azra stuffed another bite of cake in his mouth to suppress a retort. There was no point in arguing. When Gabriel made up his mind about something, well, that was that, just like father. When it came to matters of the kingdom... Duty trumped all. Azra's personal, romantic preferences would be seen as entirely beside the point. At the end of the day, his brother was also his king, and disobedience was not an option. And he'd always known that he didn't have a choice, of course, so there was no reason at all for him to feel so sick at the thought. His path had been fixed since birth. He'd always known that he would run out of stalling time and be married to some noblewoman or other, eventually, for the good of the kingdom. He'd been lucky to have so many years to himself as it was, so there was no reason whatsoever to feel like a chicken being dragged towards the butcher's block. He just hadn't expected this to feel so very imminent. Perhaps it wouldn't be so very bad. Uriel was indeed said to be beautiful. Perhaps she would be clever and engaging as well. Clever and engaging, and maybe even red-headed. He shoved the thought away. And as for the rest of it, his stomach twisted. Well... He'd just have to make do, somehow. And, Gabriel added, as an afterthought, raising a forefinger, it's high time that you got yourself a horse. That made Azra look up and really take notice. I already have a horse. Yes, but you need a proper warhorse, a stallion, not that oversized mongrel beast. He shook his head. "'Still chewing?' "'No. I've humored you long enough, but a man needs a steed that does him credit. "'Next week, I'll have Reynolds take that one to the market "'and come back with something more suitable to your station.' "'Azra put down his fork with a clack. Appetite quite fled. "'The bite of cake was glue in his mouth. "'I have the right to choose my own horse.' I do have that right. He forced his voice to stay level, flat, to not let his emotion show. I've had her for more than ten years. Exactly. Far too long. A younger horse is just the right thing for a fresh start. I know you're sentimental about the animal, but this will be for the best. Trust me, Gabriel said easily. (laughs) "'I should have known better than to let you get so attached. "'You'll like the next horse much better. "'Just you wait.' "'I... you cannot just sell her,' Azra said as evenly as he could. "'Arguing with Gabriel always made him feel panicky and helpless, "'just like with father, and tonight he found that it also made him angry. "'I'm not a child any longer.' I won't let you do that again. I can and I will, Gabriel said, face hardening dangerously, the way it always did when someone dared say can't to him. Unless you demonstrate that you are taking your place in this family seriously. I am. I do. I... I... Azra folded his napkin carefully across his lap. "'trying to buy time to think. "'Actually, I've been thinking.' "'Watch out!' interrupted Sandalphon, grinning. "'He and Michael had been watching the whole exchange with interest. "'Watching Azra get flustered had always been their favorite spectator sport. "'I've been thinking,' Azra continued, pointedly ignoring his brother. That we may be able to broker peace with the Sorcerer's Council, surely that would be worthwhile, and to the benefit of all our people. More snickering. (laughs) (laughs) Is it really so impossible? he asked earnestly. Our peoples once lived in harmony, after all sorcerers aren't unthinking monsters they're people like you or me if you want me to take part in the real world as you say let me try that way there would never have to be another war no more senseless loss of life and the benefits could be myriad like in the old days before the war increased trade perhaps even sharing of new magical items or skills We do get excellent use from the artifacts we have, after all. He licked his lips and gestured to the magical harp, which was still determinedly cranking out its one horrid song. Perhaps, hypothetically speaking, if I could act as an emissary in my official capacity and speak to them. (laughs) Hypothetically speaking, Gabriel said with wry amusement now. Those unnatural creatures would murder you as soon as you set foot down there. They'd murder all of us in our beds if given half a chance. (laughs) You could sooner make peace with a rabid wolf, scoffed Michael. He wasn't even looking at them, but was idly examining his teeth in the reflection of his dagger blade. The poison-detecting silver ring on his forefinger caught the candlelight as he moved, glittering. Vicious, unnatural creatures. Sorcerers are only good for being eliminated. Not befriended, added Sandalphon with a smirk. Yes, thank you for your input, Azra retorted, unable to keep quiet. Gabriel held up a placating hand towards him. Azra! The tone dripped with sorrowful condescension, and Azra had the very childish urge to flick a forkful of cake into that smug face, though that would just be a criminal waste of perfectly good cake. The worst part about being around his brothers, he'd decided, was how unlike himself it made him feel. He had an uncomfortable, sneaking suspicion that it brought out the worst in him. Gabriel continued, The idea is commendable, praiseworthy even, but obviously doomed to fail. Another war is, frankly, inevitable at some point. Sorcerers are not like us. They're barely even human. You can't negotiate with pure evil. They are not capable of honor or trust or even love. They would take advantage of any leniency like that. He snapped his fingers. Amethyst glinted off his ring. Azra looked at his face, at his gleaming, unshakable confidence and felt the fight go out of him as usual yes i of course he said heavily but crow was nothing like that of course he was so brave and kind and funny and loved flowers his dearest friend who had somehow become as integral to his life as books and food whom I will probably never see again after I'm married. Azra shoved the thought away for the thousandth time, along with the panic it brought. He took another mouthful of raspberry cake without tasting it. He had to force himself to swallow. When you were headed inexorably for a cliff's edge, the best you could do was shut your eyes. "'The horse can stay, for now,' Gabriel sighed, and shook his head with an indulgent smile. His good humor seemed to have returned. (laughs) "'Although this ridiculous softness will not serve you well in the long run, "'you cannot simply refuse to be who you are.'" "'There is irony in that, if I cared to find it.'" "'Yes, Gabriel,' You've made that quite clear, was all Azra said. Perhaps, just perhaps, once he was married, he could convince Gabriel to revisit the idea of an ambassadorship to Apollyon. The king sighed in exasperation, and finally, finally, turned his attention back to his less troublesome brothers. The harp played on. And on. (sighs) Three more days. End of chapter 11 Thank you for reading. Please drop by the archive and let the author know what you thought of their work.